Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg, Nick Hare and Peter Cockhill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing the good that comes from bad. And due to the lockdown, unusually, we're recording this remotely. Okay, uh, Nick, go for it. Tell us about uh, the good that can come from bad. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you're much of a news hound, but you might have noticed uh, that there's this coronavirus going around, mm. and um, as a result, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people talking about you know the apocalypse and uh, how uh, you know how society is going to collapse, how uh, you know we're, the economy is going to collapse, how we'll be paying it off for generations to come, how millions of people are going to die, all of mm. those kinds of things. And I thought maybe for a bit of uh, much-needed contrast, we could perhaps just look at some of the positives. Um, and uh, you know, and I, I th- uh, it <clears throat> obviously it goes without saying that. People, lots of people dying isn't isn't a positive right so we're not saying that we're not we're just ignoring the the downsides but um i think you know what what are some of the good things that might come out of uh this this pandemic hmm. but also this question of you know given that we look at decision making um and you know if if good things do come out of it you might ask well why why couldn't we have been doing that before why does it sometimes take bad things you know to 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 make us uh, discover or invent good things. I mean, that's a, a sort of a, a nice sort of economics question as well, because um, I guess it's about incentivization and trying to incentivize people to do stuff, but they don't actually do it until they have to do it. Um, but look, let's start off, as you said, you know, not to take it lightly, it is a not nice situation. And, you know, there are awful things happening. But um, whilst acknowledging that, if we think about if we take each one of us for a moment, you know, I know that there are some things that I already sort of am quite um, non, that I'm already not non-averse to. Is that the right word way to put it? Mm. Um, so, for Double example, you know, why not? Exactly. Um, so, you know, not having to get on the train every day um, and uh, seeing more of my family, um, not going into work to sit with next to people who don't like me very much. Um, I can, and I, and also I, I can, can do sit at I, home next to people who don't like you very much. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. Um, so I don't know, sort of taking each of you for a moment, which, what are, what are you finding that's okay about this? Uh, Peter? I, I've barely noticed a change because I, I really, I, I go into our office, uh, quite occasionally. Um, uh, so I've barely noticed a difference in my kind of day-to-day routine. Okay. Yeah, there's something sort of slightly worrying about that. I know it's um, sad. I think it's very sad. I'm worried now. I need to get. I need to get out more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Chris, uh, I think for me, it's the sort of um, the fact that uh, nobody's nobody's bothering me particularly, so um, I can get on with the things I need to need to do, and um, all the kind of superfluous superfluous activity seems to have um, gone by the wayside. So kind of a more efficient way of working. More um, efficient way of working, yeah. But but hold on, you've got kids, and do they yeah. just, do they just know better than to not bother you because they must be at home as well. But they're, they're so locked in the garage, so they're, they're it's fine. Oh, nice, yeah. perfect advantage of a, a subterranean garage, I hope. Yeah. Um, Nick, what's what's been good for you? Well, that's definitely also true. Is the fact that um, you know it's almost like everyone just had a collective decision, it's like the forced on us, maybe. 
but a decision to sort of um, cut away the pointless bits of life and get on with the essentials in life. You know, mm. well, do we really need that meeting? You know, do we really need to send those emails and fill in those forms? And it's like we've all said, <clears throat> nah, we're going to not do those things. I, yeah, hey, I all, presto, there's suddenly, you know, suddenly loads of loads of uh, sort of more. Yeah, just the time is better. It's more, you know, you've got three hours to to do work rather than being badgered about pointless stuff. So there's, that's good. And then there's like specific things of being forced to um, to find solutions to things that turn out to be better than the things you were doing before. So, for example, uh, me and a bunch of other board game people have sort of set up a uh, community of, you know, trying to find, well, what online board games can we play, for example. And now we'll be doing that more than we would have done in the past. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've, I've just remembered another thing that, that I've, that's really appealed to me about um, the current crisis which is the the sort of evaluation of what uh, key workers are, what you know, who who is essential for society to function, and it turns out it's not middle class people. Um, it, it, it uh, you know, it's I, delivery I, drivers I, and Tesco's it's delivery workers. drivers, it's bin men, it's um, you know, p- people involved in uh, f- you know distribution of of things, and uh, also healthcare workers. And, yeah, basically, unless you're a doctor. Um, it's pretty much showed that all of our jobs are entirely dispensable. Hmm, it's a bit worrying. Um, and yeah, let's not forget uh, telephone receiver cleaners as well. I put podcast producers in the, the essential bracket. Essential, absolutely. Well, actually, that sort of brings it on to something else, actually, which is um, already in my regular work, we do a lot of remote communication. We're very clued up with that. Um, and, um, and yeah, obviously that's happening a lot more. And I see that with my wife and she's a teacher and I see her sort of working remotely and using, um, remote platforms and I can see her sort of quite struggling with it and all her mates are really struggling with it from work. Um, and, um, but it's, it's a new thing for them. Um, but also I was on the phone to a doctor this morning and, you know, and he was talking how he's, he's been doing a lot of remote, um, consultations as well, uh, via things like Skype and zoom and stuff like that. So, I mean, what's my point? I guess sort of, it's sort of enforcing these sort of kind of technology technologies on us. They're quite good and they're quite efficient. They're quite useful. Um, right. Where do we want to go with this? So, um, we've kind of talked about ourselves a little bit about what we're sort of personally finding. Do we want to make some predictions on this? broaden it out um who wants to talk about that what can be the long-term benefits of all benefits of all this sorts of stuff well, so we could be a bit more structured about thinking about the kinds of impacts that 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 we're going to see right <clears throat> and you okay. can draw on historical examples here quite quite effectively but you know first of all the technological side of it and in this you know the technology that we invented during world war ii was all geared around trying to win world war ii so mm. for example computers well you know, the kind of first really practical working programmable computer was invented to crack German codes. The 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 atom bomb, various, you know, machines, different types of electrical engineering solutions that went into, um, you know, bombers and, um, and more sophisticated types of equipment and rocketry and all these other things that are jet engines, you know, all these things that are really uh, still commonplace today all came out of that necessity and I, and so here you know we might see something similar we can we're going to be very quickly trying to look for a um uh, some sort of cure vaccine um you know mitigation uh something or other and and you know for all we know that could lead to um something you know really universal i mean people have been talking for a few years about a universal cure for flu type viruses and um you know it's possible that this will spur us on to create such a thing 
just mm-hmm. that, so that's just on the technology side which is the most obvious in in that it's you know a specific response to the thing that we're trying to trying to do lots of uh, news reports already about um, lots of online service providers providing the skype chats and the hangout type chats remote remote working productivity tools they they are onboarding millions of workers new, millions of new users every uh, every every day at the moment um so they the the huge boon for the telecommunications industry as people migrate from a traditional face to face working to online working mm-hmm. i think i think the other thing that'll be interesting because i mean it's it's often with those things like world war 2 or the space race which actually kind of built on a lot of world war ii technologies uh is that it's not necessarily about the creation of brand new things but it's about the rapid acceleration of things that were already kind of bubbling bubbling around and so i you know i think things like um you know there's been a lot of work trying to model what's going on with the virus with incomplete information and so on and i and um you know i i wonder whether kind of solutions ai solutions to to disease tracking you know create more generally useful predictive algorithms that can be used for you know other kinds of um behavior tracking or 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 prediction um yeah yeah. i I think one of the obvious uh deficiencies that we had well we're still i mean at the time of recording this you know we're still (coughs) at the time i give him just a couple of days yeah <laughs> at the time of recording this you know we we are still really uncertain about about this uh this disease and which way it's going to go and what the key parameters are you know how long it lasts and um what the time is but and how effective it is you know and all these kinds of key questions which we really need to know to to understand what the best response is going to be um but uh you know if you think about warning for a tsunami for example which prior to 2004 the idea of setting up a you know a pan ocean wide you know tsunami warning system which would detect and then warn uh you know everyone around the you know t- t- tens of thousands of miles of coastline in the india indian ocean no one would have done it but now mm. you know uh obviously we've got one and it's provably saved you know thousands of lives um mm. on several occasions so maybe uh you know something like that we 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 could imagine there being some kind of you know viral early warning system um mm. which would require some kind of cheaper and easier way of testing and tracking um but you know and, that's the kind of thing that you could you could easily foresee coming out of this you know and indeed of- isn't that the case where they talked about is it singapore and uh, hong kong have been better at dealing with this um, because of their experience with SARS, and so if that's sort of duplicated, you know, in 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 the West, etc., uh, for the same reasons that you've just set out. So, um, yeah, that's a good thing. Okay, so that's um, the kind of technology side. But then, mm. <clears throat> more generally, we've got this. The, let's talk. I mean, I think the the economic side is uh, is an interesting one. I, and I I would put economic and society um, together here because mm. I think they're uh, you know the economy really is the sum total of you know everyone's individual decisions but it like something like the black death now as you can tell from the name uh, i don't know if you wasn't good you know, how much you follow history but it wasn't it would yeah so it killed something like a quarter of people possibly well, more i think in, i think it was about 40 percent of uh of, of northern european population yeah mm-hmm. and um so if you were there you would probably uh probably you know it would have been a scary time but um of course afterwards not only you know did it um 
did it again lead to the discovery of various you know the, the sudden lack of uh, you know peasants led to the discovery of various you know labor enhancing technologies types of plows and moved to animal husbandry from you know grain farming and those kinds of things but it also had the effect of effectively getting rid of serfdom and giving giving economic you know actual uh, explicit economic power to the to peasants um and, and you could you could you could say the same thing from the second world war and the you know the establishment of the um welfare state at at the back end well of it. Yeah. But, yeah so things that kill lots of people uh are actually good they are they are good for the people who are left behind in general now at the time it's bad i, I don't want to skate over that but 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 the the as and this is as opposed to things which create a lot of destruction like physical destruction physical destruction impoverishes people everyone is worse off you know if you have a nuclear nuclear war it's not good because every, everything gets destroyed but it but in a in a, a type of in a pandemic where the actually the only things you know it's only it's sort of hurting people but not things um you you would expect afterwards for for you know the 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 people who sort of survive to be to be better off in general um so so yeah that's that's it's just the way that you know the transmission mechanism of the economic impact is is different with your destroying stuff or with your with your killing people hmm. I, I and i get i guess the the issue is the extent to which people constitute the the infrastructure of of society and you know so if you if you lost all of your scholars uh, or you know it it may not uh, be good for those people remaining if you you know if you lose medical knowledge or whatever it might mm. might be you know the, the kind of whole issue of the destruction of the roman empire and a regression of society but um but yes in in general if if if, if the um the loss is kind of evened out across all stratas of society then um Yes, I guess having fewer people puts you at a at a competitive advantage. But you're right; there um, must be some critical mass. I, I suppose, though, there's a question of how quickly the economy will bounce back, being a key thing in how long the uh, negative effects are felt. Um, and as you've pointed out, Nick, in a pandemic, things aren't destroyed; capital and property is not destroyed. Um, but there's kind of a a a a. a, a a gap that's been created in in the economy. So a lot of small businesses are shutting down or going out of business. Um, things like restaurants and uh, small businesses that rely on lots of face to face contact with customers or with each other. So they, they'll 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 go out of business, but they'll they'll be replaced once things return to normal. But this there'll be this year or six months worth of gap that's not been not been capitalized on. It's mm. like how how quickly do we fill that gap up again and the economy starts behaving or and, and to what degree do the these benefits that we're feeling that are going to be long-term benefits like now we work from home and now we have better disease control and now we have better community spirit etc cetera, etc cetera, how long do they last and how much how much of a benefit do they give us long term does that make up for the gap that we've had i think i think also you know if you look at um if you look at uh, the Second World War and uh, and the First World War, in fact, and U.S. arms manufacturers, uh, it was obviously a good good business to be in. You know, um, uh, Bastiar, you know, talks about what is seen and what is not seen, and uses the metaphor of um, you know a broken window and and it being good for the glazers and how that then spreads out into uh, you know into a broader economy. And obviously, if you're in the ventilator business or the um, you know the antibody testing kit business then 
you are um it's a massive boom market for for you and the the the, the kind of balance is the extent to which the um the disruption is um is causing opportunity and the extent to which it's you know that that balance between mm. it causing new opportunities right. yeah. and wiping out you know good existing opportunities yeah but, they, but if they take for example there's no tourism in the uk now and there won't be for the foreseeable future you say um, tourism tourism yeah tourism yeah. so then the tourism accounts for about five to ten percent of, of foreseeable annual, future is a bit strong and annual turnover you know five ten percent that's five to ten percent of whatever the annual turnover of the uk is that's just not going to be there i don't think the sale of ventilators is going to make up for that no, in the short exactly. term and i don't think the company yeah the well, hang on, but, but there's also british tourists who aren't going to spain and they're going to be here and spending money here so well they're not though they're not they're not going outside of their homes there's no tourism at all so there's a big there's a big loss in revenue occurring um that will eventually re- be refilled but that lot that historical loss will still be there you know there's going to be a gap in people's you know Thank yeah, you. if you look at like World War Two and you plot GDP and World War Two, it, World War Two is like a blip. It's it, GDP is like a straight line, and and um, it you know certainly within within you know five years you, they were we're back on the trend, um, you know of previous previous growth. So I I I'm I don't I think we it won't register. It's I mean it's obviously very significant now, but partly what's happening. And I think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier about discovering new ways of of um, of uh, behaving. Partly, what's happening is it's accelerating creative destruction. So I was reading today that you know GameStop, uh, which temp- was controversially keeping its shops open in the US, mm. is now um, closing for good. That surely they have an antiquated business model of selling computer games in person physically giving games on hard copy to people mm. and um uh you know that 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 is be sad for the people who work for gamestop but it's an inefficient use of resources you know after this is over it's good if those people all go and get a job somewhere where they're adding value instead of just you know um adding no value so it's so i think there's economic evolution at work yeah this is going to sweep out some of the economic dead wood that's there hmm. um and and if someone is doing something which is genuinely valuable and they can't they can't because of you know coronavirus and that's temporary they will still be valuable afterwards um i just want to change direction slightly um nick you started talking about um the economic side of things and the social side of things and putting those together but what about if we separate it out for a moment do we want to talk a little bit about society and things that we see going on can we draw any conclusions from that um is that so is that an interesting direction to go in guys Mm. obviously one of the things you talk about in adversity is this notion of both individual and societal resilience that 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 it is um theoretically at least increased and you know people refer to the blitz spirit but of course there's also the counter analysis which is that the the blitz spirit was in fact you know the the construct of propagandists at the time and that you had you know uh bomb chasers going going along and looting shops that uh were actually um uh clean you, you know had been had been destroyed the night before and so on um mm. but but in general i think you know you obviously had um last night there was the applause for you know nhs staff and uh so on and you you know you perhaps get those um you know everybody faces the, the 
not the great thing about a virus, but one thing about a virus is that um, it is it, it is you know it doesn't acknowledge um, most of the barriers that kind of separate us as a society, and uh, so you know everybody's kind of at at the same level of of risk, albeit you know there's some some age factors and so on that that affect it. But um, yeah. but yeah, so I, I think one of the things we you know we potentially see is after a, a long period of political division, perhaps more cohesion and acceptance of, oh, I suppose we're all vulnerable to this to this thing. Yeah, because I, I guess the post-war, the kind of po- post-war consensus that came out of World War II was based on the fact that people realised, I guess there was a realisation that the market had not been providing a lot of things that people sort of needed. I mean, World War II, Britain went more or less to a totally statist, centralised economy. And it worked. So naturally, mm. um, you know, afterwards, people were inclined to say, oh, well, OK, well, perhaps we need some kind of compromise. You know, perhaps we do need to have um, health provided by the state and, um, you know, and, and, to, and to have a much more comprehensive system of benefits. And, and then we'll have the market as well on the side. Uh, you know, it lasted a good 50 years, didn't it? The, the only my only and I don't know the answer to this, but my feeling is that um, World War Two had such a cracking story. There were some baddies and there were some mm. goodies and there was a an act one where the Germans were taking over the world. And then there was, you know, the end of act two, Britain is on it, on it, we're on our own. And, you know, then act three and come, you know, the Americans and, we, we, and the Russians and we all win uh, against some baddies. I, I don't, I'm not sure if coronavirus is giving us quite the same narrative and I'm not sure, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to think, well, will, I mean, I said to the, you know, one of the things I said to the kids a couple of weeks ago is, yeah, I'm pretty sure you'll tell your grandchildren about this, you know, but actually like we know, you know, people remember world war one, but they don't remember Spanish flu. Now, yeah. oh, is this going to be the same? Yeah. I mean, potentially, but I do think those, those narratives are often um, constructed. You're, you're right. You know, the Second World War did have a a compelling narrative, but um, at the time, you know, like were were the Russians really on 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 the good side? You know, was that better that uh, that they prevailed, and then what happened afterwards, and so on? Um, so I think those though, you know, history is written by the victors, right? Well, let's hope um, uh, COVID nineteen isn't uh, isn't writing our um, obituaries in the future. Um, okay, so um, we're close to rounding up here, but before we do, is there anything um, anyone wants to move on to before? Just one last thing before we finish off. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was just gonna gonna sort of talk about um, you know what what this might mean specifically for countering um, uh, COVID nineteen, but what the um, what the longer term implications might be for the sort of um, pharmaceutical market and and so on and mm-hmm. um, you know one of the one of the things um, that has been argued particularly in the US and there's a whole the whole industry of studying the FDA and whether it saves more lives or it costs more lives you know does mm-hmm. it by preventing drugs getting into circulation does it actually um, you know hold up perfectly good drugs that would have got through and saved lives versus yeah. making sure they're, you know, safe and efficacious and so on. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the process we're going through now to accelerate, you know, the introduction of, um, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, immunization and, um, you know, treatments for the symptoms of, of COVID-19 and so on, um, you know, they could have a very long lasting direct benefit on, um, 
on saving saving lives. You know, if we can mm-hmm. streamline that process and strip back the bits that aren't necessary because of this this current emergency, that could be a legacy that could have very you know very profound effects. Um, yeah. So before we finish off, to round things off, we started at, at the beginning talking a little bit about um, how we feel about this personally, how it's been affecting our lives personally. Um, well, let, let, let's return to that um, and think about going forward um, how we think this might change things for us personally. Um, uh, Nick. Well, one one of the things that I uh, I remember sort of hearing about years ago is about tube strikes uh, and the fact that one in twenty people apparently after a tube strike permanently changed their route to work. Mm. I mean, that to me that suggests that you know a lot of the time we're not a five percent is not insignificant, right? Because you you imagine rolling that over to all sorts of other patterns of life, um, and and. Uh, you know, to sort of suggest that we uh, most of what we do is habits, and 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 one of the benefits of of being forced into a situation like this, where you can no longer do what you've been doing habitually, is you know you try out different things, and some of those things are going to turn out to be more optimal. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm touched on um, I touched on board games, but it, but mm. it's more generally kind of more frequent communication. I mean, one of the things I've discovered I've been spending a lot more time on online messaging on, on slack and whatsapp and stuff because people are really desperate to keep in touch and mm-hmm. and uh you know i i don't know maybe it's uh, i might just be being optimistic but it seems like people actually just enjoy that and that could you know just it becoming much more the norm to say you know i mean last friday i had a, a virtual birthday party yeah. um you could do that more often right i mean there were friends of mine who live you know in a hundred miles away um who you know you don't you, you see maybe once a year but but why not why not have a virtual get together yeah. every now and then it, it seems like well it works right so so i don't know i sort of imagine a lot more virtual socializing yeah i mean it sounds like an upside for you you know you're communicating more with with your friends but um watch out anyone who knows nick he's going to be in touch with you more in the future so you're badgering you on whatsapp yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, good um, cha- it's a good change from having your sort of weekly check whatsapp thing in your diary if you just have it on all the time, it makes much more sense. No, I still don't have notifications on. I would never, all I'd ever do is check my phone. Hmm. Um, Peter, what about you? What do you see changing uh, looking well, ahead? I, I, something I've noticed that no, normally I'm quite sedentary and I'm naturally very lazy. And I kind of, I, I'm, I really like cycling, but only when I'm actually doing it. Getting, getting on the bike is the hard bit. Once I'm on the bike, I love it. But hmm. not having the option of just being able to do that whenever I want makes me want to do it more so i've actually been enjoying my constitutional walk every day uh mm. that i wouldn't have otherwise done uh, because mm. i you know i because i'm only allowed one so i may i've got to make the most of it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so maybe that'll be a habit that develops and you continue yeah, in the future uh chris uh, i think for, for me it's probably uh well a couple of things one is um the because goods haven't been easy to come by first of all because you can't just go out and shop whenever you want and and secondly because some things are are, you know being panic bought um out of circulation um having sort of stocks of things and planning Mm. um methodically how you're going to use those those things for 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 your meals i think has um has been something that's actually quite gives me you know a feeling of satisfaction of of kind of efficiently using all of the all of the goods you have um the second thing is um just an appreciation of of travel and holidays the inability Mm. to to do that i I can feel myself you know bursting to to 
wants to go places. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that certainly in the short term, I mean, you always forget the impact of, of these things and within, you know, six months or something, you're back to all, all of your old habits. But um, certainly in the short term, I anticipate booking lots of... Yeah, uh, we should do this every holidays. year. Aside from all the yeah. deaths and all the yeah. businesses going out of, out of business, we should do this every year. Yeah. Chris, I think yeah. Chris, Chris is quietly celebrating the profligate society getting its comeuppance. I think that's what he's also... <laughs> I mean, I, I, if I could design a perfect three-month holiday, just spending it at home would be up there, to be honest. Yeah, so, it's not bad. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think spring that, and summer. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of when I was at university. We had a... We, it was one night where we had a power cut all night instead of sitting about watching telly we got the candles out and chatted and you know had a bottle of wine and probably played a game or two and at the end of it we all said you know this is great why don't we do this more often but the problem oh, is we didn't exactly <laughs> we were stuck to the telly the next day yeah and that's what would be interesting if we you know we have this conversation a year from now um with the two or three of us that are still alive that you know will we have continued with these good habits um okay look so we'll stop there thank you as always for listening to the cognitive engineering podcast i'm i'm fraser mcgrew we've been here with peter cockill nick Hare, and chris rag of aleph insights and until next time goodbye <laughs>